And Kazaki Shange. What does it mean that black folks could sing and dance? Why do we say that so much? We don't know what we mean? I saw what that means. Good God, did I see it. I could have walked on the water, fed the, fed the naked, clothed the hungry with what dance I saw today. I don't mean dance, I mean like a closer walk with thee, a race through swamps that fall off in space. I mean, I saw the black people move the ground and set the stars beneath their feet. So what's this mean that black folks could dance? Well, how about a woman like Bernadine, who can make her body the night riders and the runaways, the children hanging on their mama's dresses while their fathers beat to death, the blood from the man's wounds, his woman's tears, the night riders going off in the darkness, the silence of the night. How about a woman whose body was all of that, whose very presence humbled all but the drum. Now that's a dance. Like Fred careening across the stage on his stomach there, 50 feet sounds like possums and rattlesnakes. Mississippi undercurrents and steaming hog malls tossing him from Decatur to South Texas, tearing him from contractions to leaps, his body taking space around 30 redwood trees. And those sounds, those sounds kept pushing him. Little racing motors like the cops was round the bend. Windows open and shut cause there are things others ought not hear. Feet on stairways of burned out homes. The sounds just keep on pushing him. The sounds just keep on pushing her and there was a dance that was a black dance. That's what it means that black folks could dance. It don't mean we got rhythm. It don't mean the slop or the hully gully or this dance in Houston called the white boy. It don't mean just what we do all the time. It's how we remember what cannot be said. That's why the white folks say it ain't got no form. What was the form of slavery? What was the form of Jim Crow? And how in the hell would they know? Braided lady of subway scents and magic rings and nose and wrists. Music in the style of islands, laces and trains, dancing in tunnels of Hades. Kajingle jingle, kajingle jingle, kajingle juju, kajingle jingle, kajingle juju. Yeah, it's uh, Wednesday, October thirty first, two thousand eighteen. R.I.P. Vishange, you will be, you will be missed. <clears throat> um, yeah, I was off last week, and uh, of course, uh, when I choose to uh, not be on the mic, apparently that's when all hell breaks loose. Last week appeared to be the most uh, white people are the worst week I can remember in existence. Let's um, <clears throat> just start off by saying Trump is worthless. Don't go to that. The press should know by now not to go to that man for anything, for any thought. I mean, he's supposed to be our leader, but he ends up just saying the dumbest things. Like when um, a white man went into a Pittsburgh synagogue and with a with a bunch of Glocks and an AR-15 rifle and killed 11 people instead of uh, Trump, <clears throat> you know, doing what presidents should be doing, which is just saying out condolences and, and uh, completely saying that this is not right. <clears throat> Trump was talking about, oh, they should have had armed guards there. Yeah. Armed guards. I thought we all agreed that um, killing Jews was a bad thing. That that shouldn't happen. Um, I know there are people that, that have problems with uh, Jewish people. 
Farrakhan and everything. But um, <clears throat> we all, we, you know, we just thought that was a thing that we all agreed on that killing Jews shouldn't happen. But uh, of course, now that Trump is in office, killing, uh, yeah, ba- basically racism is in again. I don't know if any of uh, heard. There's also the uh, white guy that uh, shot two black people at a uh, Kentucky Kroger. But, of course, this happens all the time. Nobody really paid attention to that. <coughs> that was last weekend. Last week. Ah, oh, Jesus. Yeah, of course we had the um, the uh, the pipe bombs that went to so many different people to cleanse the Obamas, CNN, Robert De Niro. Interestingly enough, this guy didn't send a pipe bomb to Eminem because I guess he knew that uh, you know, last thing he wanted was hip hop heads and trailer park trash going after him because you know. Yeah, you know, that's yeah. You know, he did. He did not want any of that Eminem smoke. Apparently. Ah, oh, Jesus! And um, of course, we got the migrant caravan. Everybody's scared to death of a bunch of uh, migrants coming down here seeking asylum. Of course, Trump, uh, being the the guy that he is, sending out uh, five thousand guards to you know, whatever to. I don't know, make sure they don't try nothing. Ah, <clears throat> oh, Jesus, because of course, you know, they, they're all talking about how these, uh, these, these, these migrants are carrying, uh, smallpox and TB and, and leprosy, you know, like they, they're talking about them like they're characters in the Grapes of Wrath. Apparently, just you know, Miguel and the rest of his kinfolk wanted to make a better life for themselves. But before they could get to California, Miguel died of dysentery and had to be buried in the field somewhere. Jesus. And also, since this is a Halloween night, there is the the sad possibility. That people might actually leave the house in blackface. Because for some reason, we got to keep reminding white people that dressing up in blackface is not cool. And to make sure that we, like, we, uh, NBC recently fired Megyn Kelly for saying her take on blackface. Like, I don't see it's a big deal. It's just like, like, dude, like, is this is it still a thing where people don't recognize how horrible blackface the hit just the history of blackface is with Al Jolson and Amos and Andy and how blackface was mostly used to degrade and stereotype black people and then <coughs> black entertainers had to uh, basically dress up in blackface so they could uh you know. Because if they didn't, they wouldn't. They couldn't work. But we still have to tell people, yeah, don't do blackface. There was a nurse that was recently fired from her job because not only she dressed up, uh, she as Beyonce in blackface, but she took a picture of it and put it out there on social media. So. Yeah, that gal deserves to lose her job. Just like, I don't get these people who like take. I, that happened years ago with me. Like I was uh, hanging out <clears throat> somewhere in Raleigh, and some guy was was actually a guy kind of know um, was uh, was out there in blackface as Kanye West. I actually put on Facebook, I took a picture of the dude and this like, it took me everything uh, possible in me not to knock this guy upside his head for coming outside like that. 
and his wife at the time, who was dressed up as Kim Kardashian, uh, blocked me from Facebook for saying that, which is, wow, okay. I have a friend who, um, whose son um, had to dress up like Gordon Parks, the photographer, you know, the African-American photographer um, for a school project. He didn't use blackface at all. Kind of like people, you know, yes, they understood, you know, just understood that that was going to be Gordon Parks and, you know, he didn't need blackface. I think they also knew that, that if they did blackface, that would be kind of a problem. <sighs> But like, if you, for for those who are out there who who are probably listening to this, and just like if you see somebody wearing blackface, either tell them to go home, or just uh, to smack them upside the head. They should know better. Like everybody should know, blackface is not cool. Whiteface isn't cool. I'm gonna say okay, just like whiteface isn't cool either. <clears throat> I got a damn cold and like phlegm and everything is in my in my throat. I got a sore throat and everything, so I'm gonna be coughing a lot during this this uh <clears throat> this 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 episode. Sadly, I um am not in the best of moods because um these past few days have um, not been well for me. I kind of started. Well, actually, it kind of started um, early last week when I was writing this story uh, <clears throat> about this um, this uh, this this exi- this art exhibit that was going on in a vintage clothing store. Some woman corralled a bunch of artists together to make uh, their own custom VHS boxes you know this for those of you who remember vhs tapes they had these uh cardboard containers and he that she uh dispatched artists to uh make their own vhs box art so i thought that was a cool story to write about so i called up uh the organizer the lady who was put it together i was saying hey can we um <clears throat> can we meet up in person to talk about it or something like that because i didn't want to do it over the phone and um, I suggested um, maybe we should go. To, we could go to uh, this bar that, that a lot of people know about. That I'm usually there. That kind of seemed like a neutral place to meet up. Apparently, she didn't like that. So I uh, said, "Okay." And uh, like I was trying to meet up with her, but she said, "Like uh, I don't have the time to meet up with you. Could you?" Um, you know, and I said, well, can I uh, email you the questions? And she said, yeah. So I so I wrote a bunch of questions. I sent it to her. She sent me back answers. I wrote the story. Um, story didn't get published, unfortunately. So that was a whole other thing. So on Friday, the event happens, and it's over on the east side, uh, the very gentrified east side, and I head over there to check the whole thing out. And usually when I go to art events like these, I thought maybe it's a good idea to introduce myself to the people putting it on and talk to them about the exhibit and just, you know, see what's up. And um, <clears throat> when I found out who the woman was, I never met her before. I never saw her before. When I found out who she was, I was heading over to talk to her. She was behind this counter. And right when I was about to go up, this dude in denim just blocked me and started having this conversation with me about, hey, what's up, what's going on, and everything. I'm like, cool. And like, I'm immediately thinking, is this guy blocking me from talking to this woman? And then he, he, he just immediately goes in and stuff like, hey, did you take the bus here? Or what did you do to just, uh, take the car? And I'm like, no, I have a car. I did not take the bus here. And like after a minute, I just say, listen, I'm trying to uh, to talk to the organizer. Could you excuse me? And that's when he goes, oh, um, she she doesn't want to talk to you. And I'm like, why she doesn't want to? And I'm just like asking why she doesn't want to talk to me. And then he starts going, shh, 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 shh. And I'm like, dude, why are you shushing me? I'm trying to, you just told me 
the organizer doesn't want to talk to him, trying to figure out what's going on. And he's like, he he just doesn't want to talk. He, he kept saying it. And then the owner of the store uh, went from around the counter, and she jumped in talking about, yeah, could you leave, please? Because she doesn't. I'm like, what's going on here? Keep in mind, this is like a very public event. There's a lot of people there. A lot of hipstery people vaping and drinking Lone Star beer. And um, <clears throat> it was it was very unnerving. And then they say, you have to go. Can we just go outside? And I say, whatever. Okay, I'm going outside. And and, and right when you go outside, that's when they say, you need to leave. I'm like, I don't know why I have to leave. Why do I have to leave here? And they kept saying how just like she... You know, you're making everybody uncomfortable. Your news. Keep in mind, once again, just they're just white people all around drinking. Couldn't care less about what I was doing, falling all over each other and everything. And I'm like, what's going on here? And just like, and just immediately, um, I realize this is a very racial moment. So I might as well just capture this on video, just to make sure people understand that. Yeah, just to let people know that this is happening right now. <clears throat> So yeah, that that goes on for like ten, fifty minutes, and just just as because they were because because <clears throat> they were stand because when I left uh, the store, they were standing right there in in front of the store, just 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 standing there, not, you know, making sure I don't jump back into the store or whatever. Because and just it was it was just such a a, a wild and a very. Um, uh, insane thing that happened so I was upset about the whole thing obviously because I didn't know why keep in mind never met the woman never uh, you know didn't formally introduce myself so I don't know why she would not want or, or else like they just saw this black guy come into this place and just immediately thought oh this guy's trouble or something and so, um, so I, of course, put the, put the video on, uh, put clips of the video on the interwebs, you know, just pouring out that this was, um, quite suspect, you know, giving the impression that, Hey, you know, hipsters can be racist, racist too. And, uh, <clears throat> on Monday, the, the, uh, owner of the store sent a, uh, letter to uh, my editor, telling me how, telling them how um, I was, I was harassing them and just harassing her and just uh, that they felt very unsafe about the whole thing and uh, just you know they're very, they're very uncomfortable and it just and by and by the way also I forgot to mention that when I brought this stuff up on Twitter, some other woman. Uh, with uh, someone who actually knew that I thought we were friends, she chimed in talking about how I was basically stalking this woman, which is like, don't I have to know the woman to stalk her? And just, and then she, and then she said I was a predator, which is that's just that's just the kind of thing you want to hear right now at this point in your life that you're a predator, which I didn't didn't know I was a predator. I just wandering around and and because. And this is basically what I'm getting into is that, um, yeah, I'm getting tired <clears throat> of having to make white people feel un feel comfortable about their racism because that's basically what it's what this is all about. Because just like when I show up to functions where a big black scary looking dude like myself, I can't first of all, I can't help the fact. That I'm that I'm that uh, I weigh three hundred and thirty forty pounds whatever, and I don't have the uh, the more attractive mug of a say a Michael B Jordan, and I don't fit the regular profile somebody who appear at all these functions. When I go to these events, I'm I'm well aware that I might uh, scare off white people who aren't usually. Uh, have don't usually have con <coughs> contact with um with African American folks, 
And it was it's, it it's, it just got me very saddened and depressed. This is something that I've I've dealt with for most of my life. It just I mean I I I talked about this earlier this year when I was kicked out of an art gallery uh, uh, reception because I told a white woman she looked like Sarah Huckabee Sanders. That was it. I just told she looked like Sarah Huckabee Sanders, and uh, the dude who was putting on the event. Called in security to he he couldn't just say hey I don't like what you said you got to go he brought in two security guards on the off chance that I'll act a damn fool or whatever and you know, just it it it, it has because it's you know it's bad you know it's bad enough like I'm still trying to freelance and make a living in this very sad field of journalism but just i have to it's gotten to point now where it's just like i have to have to worry about reporting while black just be this black dude writing about arts and culture and then when they see me they're just they're put off and they don't have to and they don't know what to do exactly because they've never had to con it make have contact with, with with colored folk and everything and you know what I I I I'm I'm willing to say hey if there was a misunderstanding if she thought something that wasn't my intention I would be I would gladly apologize. Like I say like if I ever if, if I read a chance to actually speak to her I would say that but the you know, the the her hipster friends came out of nowhere and blocked the whole thing where I couldn't talk to her so so they all have in their heads that I'm just harassing people. And this, that uh, they just felt very unsafe. Unsafe. They just felt unsafe. That it was like a public function, and but in, in the not, we weren't in the, in the back of an alley or something. Just they felt very unsafe, and and just, uh, just I've been very uh, depressed about it because I'm, I'm I'm tired of being the monster, especially in this town. Like I don't know, like if you if you're if you live in Houston, you're a big fan of this town. Good on you and everything, but I just I can't deal with this place anymore. It's just like it's hard for me to find any anything. I'm, yeah, of course, you know this past month has not been well for me, being like doing the whole homeless thing and everything. So to have people just remind you that you don't belong isn't necessarily doesn't do do wonders for me at this point. Uh, and it's and also sad because, like, I know a lot of people here and I'm, like, I keep keep waiting for somebody around here to have my back. And there, there are some people, but it's just, like, just, this, this, see, this is a very uh, self-centered uh, part of the country. But then again, it's kind of like a perfect example of how we are as a society because... Nobody really cares about each other around here. Nobody. If we cared about each other, we wouldn't. Uh, ha we wouldn't have all this this horrible stuff that keeps happening, shootings and pipe bombs and whatever. People never, you know, people never think to look within themselves and try to better themselves and try to because nobody wants to admit they're wrong at any point. At any time. But there are so many people that are wrong. Just wrong all the time. It's just nobody wants to take responsibility for their actions. And just, uh, Jesus. I don't even know why I'm saying all this. I don't know who's listening to this thing. I don't know if people will listen to it. I don't know if if the people who listen to this will tell people to listen to this to to I'm just trying to just make sense of everything, which is is a futile mission in my in, at this point in time. <sighs> just a, yeah, just a saddening. It's been a saddening, depressing experience for me, and just the only thing that's keeping me from going into a complete uh, emotional mental breakdown is Big Mouth on Netflix.
that is literally one of the best shows on TV. John uh, John Mulaney and Nick Kroll should be commended for bringing that show on the every, on the air every time. I hear uh, Maya Rudolph as the hormone monstrous saying bubble bath. I just laugh my ass off. But uh, I'm just tired of it all. I'm just so damn tired. I don't even know how long I'm going to do this thing here. I got like a do a change of scenery or just or just get get into drug dealing or whatever because none of this is giving me any joy and stuff. So Uh, sorry if this is uh, too much of a downer episode for you, but hey, this is this is what happens when you listen to a show where I'm the host. But, uh, well, here we go. This is uh, the most depressing show on uh, KPFT. This is the Sour Hour.
this feeling we in next to me It's like joy in summertime I wanna be your favorite song That would only bring you joy But now that I never see that down real quickly because uh got a got a lot of things planned for this show that was um that was uh, a couple of songs um uh, first up was uh element well goo goo wawa i believe yeah that was uh uh from uh <clears throat> wawa watson's only um solo album uh elementary uh, Mr. Uh, Watson, a um, car-carrying funk brother, passed away uh, recently, and he performed on a lot of stuff. Uh, one of the one thing he performed on was the second track, uh, "Moving Down the Line," by Raphael Sadiq from the Stone Rolling album. So I thought I'd play a couple of tracks from there. Actually, I made up this um, um, playlist on Apple Music. <clears throat> so um, if you um, yeah, you know, it's out there somewhere. So if you want to, if you want, know where that playlist is, hit me up and I'll pass along. This is the Sour Hour, aka Everything Is Cancelled. I'm Craig Lindsay, aka um, Uncle Crizzle, aka Black Larry David, all that stuff. Um, <clears throat> reason why we have to get things moving because um, tonight's guest isn't here, but I recorded an interview. Um, I did with him uh, a couple of days ago. Uh, Simon Abrams, he's a real good friend of mine. Um, uh, I'll, uh, I'll tell you more about him in the interview. So, um, let's, uh, see if we can get to it right now. My, uh, interview with, uh, Simon Abrams. Okay. Um, we are here with, um, 
Simon Abrams. Uh, welcome to the Sour Hour, Simon. How's it going? And um, so the thought about having you down here. First off, let me just list off uh, a lot of your credits. Um, you are uh, you've uh, a freelance uh, writer and critic. Um, you've uh, written for uh, the Village Voice back then, back when that was around. Now you write for the Voice Media Group. You write, you do uh, reviews um, for uh, RogerEbert.com and the uh, interviews there. You also write for Hollywood Reporter and uh, Vulture and um, and uh, uh, Vanity Fair most recently. And um, you've uh, you you uh, also uh, written a book. You recently uh, you wrote uh, co-wrote with Matt Zoller Sites, The uh, Devil's Backbone, which you sent me. Uh, Devil's Backbone book, which uh, you sent me, but somebody uh, stole it from me. Oh no! Yeah, it's it's a long story. I'll, maybe I'll tell you about it later. But um, uh, but you've been also doing a lot of other things. You've been uh, uh, writing uh, liner notes for the uh, for a recent uh, collection of uh, Blu-rays uh-huh. uh, for for Kino Lorber. About like I believe you did uh, the uh, Night Strangler. The Night Stalker, yeah. and uh, did you do Trilogy of Terror? Yes. Okay, and uh, you've also been uh, uh, curating, um, <laughs> uh, you know, a movie series in uh, in New York where you are. Like uh, you recently um, curated a, a John Carpenter, a brief John Carpenter retrospective at the Museum of the Mu- uh, Movie Image. Yeah. And uh, earlier this month, uh, you also. Uh, curated a Shaw Brothers retrospective <laughs> at the IFC Center. Yep, it's still ongoing. Yeah, it's still ongoing. And uh-huh. um, or in the summer, you uh, you uh, curated uh, the uh, Summer of '88 series. Yeah, at the IFC Center. Which so basically, for all y'all freelancers, uh, freelance uh, film critics wondering. Like myself, who wondering why we can't get work, it seems because Simon's got in them all. Just <laughs> pretty much, and it's just down here struggling and stuff. But hey, you know this. Hey, keep you. You do you. You keep hustling, man. Thanks, man. And um, but uh, I mostly know you, and for people who know your your work, you're you dab. You basically dab a lot in, in in writing about genre films, mm. mostly also uh, you know since we're in the 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 Halloween spirit, uh, horror films and everything. And uh, I don't know if I ever asked you this, like what made you decide to get into writing a lot about those types of films? Um, I remember in high school I had like a really big turn where I just I still love science fiction, but horror movies just became like a lot like for a lot of adolescents it became like a really big source of interest and as I just went and as I started to realize that I wanted to write about stuff especially in college I just realized that like I needed to sort of distinguish myself and to just to have just do something with um that would put me set me apart and would would really cultivate like my my interest my voice that kind of thing and uh one of the things that i always love is is not just talking about the ideas in horror movies but lately a lot of it is to do with um how these movies achieve certain effects you know like whether it's literally special effects or if it's you know talking about how the cinematographer of the brood help to make that movie great and uh you know things like that are for me um why i love to write because it's stuff that i could not learn just by watching the movie i have to you know i have to talk to people i have to to read other writing it's you know it's it's not something you can do on your own okay and and then what I've always found uh, so interesting about you is that, like, you do write a lot about genre movies, but you also, I mean, you you also do a lot of other films. I mean, I believe you're uh, you're writing about that uh, Maria Callas documentary <laughs> yeah. about to drop soon, uh-huh. and just I'm starting to notice these days. Um, 
especially now since we're in like the Comic Con era of just uh, uh, film writing and everything. It's just that there are people who do um, write a lot about genre films and kind of that's that's kind of like the 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 lane they choose to go in they and it, it uh-huh. kind of kind of sadly uh there's there's there seems to be a lot of narrow-mindedness when it comes to uh-huh. film criticism these days and just no, I, yeah well i'm just saying just saying i mean do you, do you see that a lot is that something you wonder about uh, I mean, it's it's something I encounter a lot, certainly, that kind of fanboyishness, but I think there's definitely a lot of really good writing out there about horror and stuff that's challenging that kind of fanboyish uh, lack of critical thinking, and uh, that to me is really exciting because, honestly, it shouldn't just be um, people writing who are just talking about how the movie made them feel and how it was great to feel like they were, you know, adolescents when they first discovered horror again, but to tell me nothing about what the movie, what it's about, what it's doing, how it achieves it, like, a lot of the basic stuff that fanboy criticism, and I think on some level a lot of pseudo-intellectual criticism on the other end of the spectrum of writing doesn't do. They, they Neither the, the high, too highbrow or the too lowbrow critics writing about horror really give you an idea of what you're looking at and I think that to me is um, a huge failing. You have to you have to show your work, basically, as our mutual friend Odie Henderson would say. You have to show your work so that I can understand why you're reacting this way. And from there, um, that's that's where the conversation starts. Because otherwise, if you just dismiss uh, using examples and and not just plot synopsis, because I think a lot of people assume that it's a plot synopsis problem, but if you don't show me like where, if you don't paint a picture basically um, of what, what we're looking at, it just, it, it, it does, the criticism doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of fanboy critics don't do that. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, of course, uh, one of the main reasons I uh, got you on the show was of course to talk about um, horror movies and, you know, just, uh, yeah, yeah. I find you be uh, you have a good uh, sense of where uh, where to find really good horror films, not just uh. regular, not just the common garden variety slasher films. I mean, you go you uh. you you tend to go overseas a lot. I remember, uh, I think a couple of years ago, you wrote a piece in RogerEbert dot com about the uh, I think the best. Uh, horror films of that year, and most of them came from overseas. And I actually hit uh. you up and like, hey, you got you got any screener links to any of those and everything like that? Because because you you find that's um, something that not a lot of people, uh, well, especially the fanboy critics, talking about delve into a lot. Just like you know, for, you know, just you know, the U.S. is the only place that has the the horror market on lock. I mean, go to go to Asia. There's a uh. lot of great. Um, horror films coming out of there. I mean, do you find that not a lot, it's very difficult for you to get people to hop aboard the international horror movie train? No, that's true. I mean, especially when it comes to Asian horror films, because um, Asian films in general, pop cinema specifically, unless it's like an art house thing, like the new uh, Lee Chang Dong film, um, it just, it's really hard to get editors to give me enough of a budget to cover that stuff because unless it's breaking the box office uh, abroad, in which case you'll get like a trend piece or something, you can't really convince them that, hey, this is a story, this is a film worth covering, and that sucks because it's like, I'll give you an example. There was a really, really good uh, horror comedy from, I think, January uh, by the actress Sandra Ng, and uh, it was her first film as a director. And it's this really, really broad, admittedly, but also just really, really funny horror comedy about these guys in Hong Kong who live in a tenement, and their landlord is basically trying to to kick them out, but the only way he can think to do it uh, is to pretend, is to hire a bunch of people to pretend to be ghosts and uh, monsters and try to scare them out. And, uh, 
nobody knew this movie was out in New York. Nobody, and, and when I tried to pitch it to people, it was admittedly too late because it's it's like a cycle of people. These these films, no one knows that they're out there because the publicists aren't doing uh, enough of a job to push them. Um, and so critics who are interested in that stuff have to work harder to convince editors that it's worth it. So, But with a movie like this, it really sucks because I haven't laughed as hard at a comedy in the theater this year um, except for this movie, Goldbuster. And um, I know that, like, I would have just second-guessed myself and been like, well, I was the, like, I, I didn't see that many other people um, in the theater uh, so maybe it was just, you know, maybe I'm just overselling it. But no, I, our mutual friend, Stephen Boone, uh, I, I dragged into it. and We were both laughing our ass off. It was so good. Um, so it's it's harder and harder to get people to to, to summon up. It's harder to, to get people to pay attention to this stuff because, um, you know, you do have to go to some, to some stores where you, you can leaf through some Blu-rays and go to Amazon Prime and do a little digging. and It's an investment, basically. People don't want to invest the time because, you know, there are too many, too much of this, uh, our, of our freelancing economy is based on uh, what's readily available. What can I stream? Like, so much of this stuff is like, what can I stream? And it cuts out, like, 70% of the great shit that's, oh, sorry, the great stuff that's out there. And, mm -hmm. and that's really, it's terrible. It's terrible because... I was just flipping through what's on Amazon Prime, for example. There's so much weird gray market stuff out there. So many like weird little Italian horror films and um, Spanish horror films and all these like weird little films that um, I either know by title or sometimes even by reputation or even sometimes on the rarely I've seen them and I'm like, wow, this is great. I, I really want to convince someone to see this. And it just gets hard because you have to think of a hook and you have to think of a it just it's 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 difficult to get this stuff out there. It really is. And also you find these days now uh, with people talking about films like uh, A Quiet Place and Hereditary, there seems to be this sense that, oh, uh, horror movies are good again and whatever. <laughs> I mean, do you find that? I mean, do you find that to be a lot of um, hype and hot air? Or you find this, you know, because, uh, I mean, do you feel that because uh, because I recently saw read this uh, online piece where they said just like the the, the 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 top horror movies that came out the best horror movies that came out this year and just basically a list of horror films mm. and a lot of them weren't exactly good and everything <laughs> but just like but they're horror films and just people people want to always see I mean you find it to be a case where just like people are very are hyping up a uh, U.S. horror a lot more than uh, they previously have. Well, I think it taps into a couple of things. Like the economic reality is that for a lot of people, the fact that these movies like Hereditary and a Quiet Place, the fact that they're out there and they are building more of a market, that's for starters, it's a good thing. On the other hand, it's a bad thing because people really, um, it, it sort of makes it, makes the lesson learned by these films financial success something along the lines of, well, we want more like that. We don't want more in general. So I'm a bit ambivalent. I think that there is definitely a lot of great stuff in the two films you mentioned, and they are movies that like, I'm glad I saw with an audience, and I'm glad that people are talking about our movies. But yeah, there's definitely a lot of truth to what you said about how there are lists that are very uh, American-centric, and they're very just kind of... Um, you, you see basically like in the list of 10 titles there'll be about six or seven that are on all of the lists, all the lists. And you basically have to dig for those two or three titles where they're just like, where, where is the, the writer's personality here? Where, where is their spirit of adventure? And where, 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 where's um, who, the, the person writing the byline? Where, where, where do I find that? And then you see it's those two or three uh, items. And if it's something interesting, then you go past skimming the titles and you actually read what they're writing um, and invariably get disappointed. But, you know, it's a, <laughs> it's a thing. What you're talking about is, a, is definitely a thing to deal with the disappointment that people um, have a very, you know, have, have blinders on. They, they only want to, to do so much work. They only want to, especially because it's horror movies. I mean, it's, it's genre cinema. And in that sense, it's like 
you know, they, they don't want to have to do homework. It's like, it's even with something as highbrow as opera, they're like, oh, I don't want to do homework. And with, with horror, they definitely don't want to do homework. Uh, it's, uh, it is unfortunate because you know, there have been times when just I kind of get the sense that the only decent uh, horror movies that you can find, and I, and I don't know, and you may may well agree with me on this, is overseas, uh. and just it's, it's very difficult to you know to get to see uh, the American uh, horror film that doesn't use the same tired stuff that they've. Um, that that they've done in the past and just you just see the the, the repetition in it all and just admit, I don't know if I got my blinders on but it's just no it's true I mean the conventions are definitely there yeah I mean I think it really is a matter partly of uh, different conventions and different tropes that you know I think we are not necessarily as sensitive or aware to aware of, I should say, uh, that then somebody from say China or Hong Kong or Japan who knows like what a Japanese ghost story or J horror film is like, like the back of their hand, they're not as exotic, in other words, to them as they are to us. At the same time, though, I think that it's not just cultural tourism. It is definitely a sense of um, difference and discovery and. I think that when that difference is celebrated and enjoyed by people who want that because it is different and it is exciting and it is novel and it does stuff that you know goes obviously beyond novelty, that's where you find really uh, not just great par criticism but just great um, um, you know a, a cultivation of, of greater taste. I think you know that's where, that's where people can start to to realize that they don't have to just settle for the one or two films that are showing at the multiplex. I mean, I, I think it's a, it's a great thing that we have two or three uh, really big horror films that are doing really well at the box office, like Suspiria and Halloween, but I just wish those movies were better, man. Like, I, I'm, I'm about to write about the new Suspiria, and I've already written about Halloween, but and I think it, what they're doing generally, the impact they're having and the, their success it's having is generally a good thing, but... I I am also hesitant because I just I hope the lesson isn't basically so we're gonna make three more Halloweens and then two more Suspirias and it's just it's like I just I want I want more variety uh, like you I think I, I definitely that that should be the the takeaway. Uh well I guess now would be a good time to uh, ask if you have any recommendations that people could um, watch on this Halloween. Sure. Um, let's think. Um, a lot of the stuff that has come out already, um, the new stuff, that's a good question. Um, I really like, I mean, the film I mentioned from earlier this year, Goldbuster, if you're in the mood for a good comedy, if you can find it, that one's really good. Um, a lot of the stuff I've been watching lately, though, is admittedly older stuff. I've been, for example, really into made-for-TV horror films because I did a list of times about uh, made-for-TV horror stuff that's like, Mostly from the seventies, when you know the made-for-TV film was, you know, uh, a primetime event. But it's also some stuff from like two thousand six and the aughts. So um, I know, for example, if you're looking for stuff on streaming, there's some really good stuff like Ghost Watch, which is uh, from the nineties. That will scare the pants off you. It's really, really, really good. Um, and the less you read about it, the better. Um, Let's see what else. I, I really like Threads from the '80s, which is on Shutter. That one is not con a conventional horror film. It's really it's like a almost like a docudrama about uh, the apocalypse in England. Yeah, I, I saw that recently. It's just like a ex ex extremely bleaker uh, day after. Exactly. I, I love Alan Moore's description of it as you know, it's like the day after, except for adults. And <laughs> yeah. I love that. And uh, as for newer stuff, because that's the thing, I don't want to be discouraging and to, to make it seem as if like horror is a museum piece. Um, I think, I'm trying to think of some really good ones. Um, hmm. I just saw, coming out this week, uh, there's a really good film called Welcome to Mercy, which is, um, it's, it's, they bill it as kind of like a nunsploitation throwback, where it's set in a convent in Latvia, and this uh, young mother is possessed by demons, so it seems like something at a glance that looks like behind convent walls and School of the Holy Beast and all these old 70s 
uh, non-exploitation films, but it's not like that. It's not as, you know, pervy and salacious. It's much more character-driven. And you can kind of tell that, like, the screenwriter, uh, who is also the lead actress, she brought a lot of, uh, not just sensitivity, but just, like, intelligence to the characters and a lot of consideration to the main ideas about the film, which is about, you know, why people go to religion in the first place, abandonment issues, um, guilt, parental guilt. Uh, it's it's really, it just feels like a, the the film that I kind of wanted Suspiria to be because Suspiria is also about uh, guilt and shame and collective anxiety. Uh, but Welcome to Mercy is, is, for me, the new Halloween film or the new fall horror film that I've liked the most. Um, I'm trying to think of some other really good examples, but most of the stuff that I've been watching lately is older stuff, especially I, just because, as you mentioned, I, I had the, um, the Carpenter series, so the Carpenter program is on my, my, my head. Uh, but I would, I would really recommend, if possible, if anyone has the opportunity to see these John Carpenter films, especially the Apocalypse trilogy of The Thing, Prince of Darkness and In the Mouth of Madness. If you can see those in a theater, do so because it is a wonderful experience to watch or rewatch these movies with people because they get really into it. You, you know, when, when there's like a little snappy dialogue line, you'll hear people laughing or gasping or, you know, <laughs> groaning at some of the effects. And I think for me, that's like, there's, there's no greater experience than that. I know a lot of people in our corner of the world have been talking about the way that uh, services like Filmstruck, streaming services like that, are unreliable as they keep going under, um, and they they direct people to um, libraries and um, you know just buying Blu-rays and stuff. I would also say that the experience of seeing the, a movie in in the theater, as as uh, stodgy as this sounds, it's it's pretty invaluable. It's pretty irreplaceable. All right, that that sounds good. All right, uh, thank you uh, very much, uh, Simon Abrams, for uh, taking part of this. Uh, just, you know, good luck with all the stuff you got going, man. Thanks thank for the you so much. Thanks for the recommendations. You have a good one. You too, dude. All right, man. Bye. Thanks. All right, that was Simon Abrams. Thanks for uh, giving me time to talk to you. Uh, Flight Squad Radio is up next. Uh, uh Flash Gordon show is gonna Flash Gordon Park show gonna be on in the main station. Till then, this is Craig Lindsay saying bye.